I pray that that is true, Lord. And I'm grateful that we're going to be able to look in your word to um, at a time that will kind of speak to those moments when we, d- we doubt that. Lord, I know um, there's, a, there's a, a powerful testimony that many in here have of, of praying and searching for you and asking for, for things from you, to things of you, um, for long times. And, you know, sometimes we get to see those answers clearly, and sometimes we think we see it, and then it ends up not being exactly or at all what we had hoped. So, Father, just encourage us again. Encourage us again this morning, you know, that, that the labor for you, and not, not just in context of serving this church, but that following you as a disciple, learning to take on Christ's life, that is worth it. Because we, we know deep down that it is, Lord, otherwise, I mean, we, we would not have given our lives to you. We would not be in your church, you know, giving up part of our time together on Sunday. We would, we would not be here if we didn't believe it. Um, but, Father, we recognize that, that that is a tough thing to cling to for us, for many things. So, encourage us from your word today. Encourage us in your spirit as well. In your name we pray. Amen. We are in chapter 4, Esther. And I want to I kind of preface this by saying we are getting into, I would say, the meat of the climax of the story. So, the first three chapters of the book kind of all set the scene if you will, because we're introduced to, you know, God's people being exiled to this wicked king that's over everything to, you know, the former queen being removed. A new queen has to come up. And now Esther is the one who steps into that place. And then now we also see where, you know, the, the persecution and the oppression starts to come up because you've got this guy, Haman, who's ready to kill all of the Jews. So, I wanted to, to recap that because as we've talked a little bit each week and we've been adding these, these pieces to the puzzle of, okay, if we're going to step up to intercede for others, intercede just being that fancy word that says we're, we're basically stepping up to live like Christ for others. You know, we've talked about we lead them to focus on God. We talk about you know, we want them to worship God. We want them to respect and obey God and respect and obey others. We've got these pieces together, but at some point... Um, and this is a really good moment for us to reflect on. This is not easy, okay? Most of you are, are well aware of that. That's nothing new. But Esther and Mordecai are kind of getting to the point now where, you know, you, you could say in maybe a more our language, they, they have given their lives to Jesus. They're starting to take the steps of faith. They're starting to walk with God and kind of get this picture of what are the things he's after, you know, wants us to worship, wants us to respect. Okay, we, we can do those things. At some point, though, <laughs> you get to the point where it's, it's not easy anymore. And regardless of, of what that is, you know, if it's just a, a, some circumstance that's come up, if it's a spiritual opposition, regardless of how you get to that moment, it's good for us to say, look, if, if we're undertaking the work of the church, and we are undertaking the life of an interceder, taking on Christ's life together. It's not, it's not the easiest work. So 
How do we respond, especially when things don't get easy? We're going we're gonna to get to a practical piece maybe a little bit more next week as we start watching them do some things. But what God does, and it's not an accident, before he gets Esther and Mordecai to start doing things, he kind of grounds them on, you know, ultimately what is the heart that he is after. So that's where we're going to be this morning, church, because I want to encourage you, and you're going to hear me say this a lot today, um, if I say it as many times as I did this morning while running through it, you're, you're, it's, hopefully it might be the only thing you walk away from today. But there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing that Esther and Mordecai are going to do today that you are not capable of doing, okay? And I give you that disclaimer because I know sometimes when we start talking about these really, to, to us, to maybe a more American mindset, this is a pretty extreme version of persecution, right? We probably aren't facing something as bad as this. And sometimes when we read, especially in the Old Testament, we get to these stories, these heroes of the faith, we start watching what they do, and we go, wow, it would be so cool if only I could be just like Esther, just like Mordecai, all that stuff. Wow, that's amazing. You are equally capable of what we're going to watch take place today, Okay. Why? Because we can have the same heart that they did. What God is going to do when he's looking for people who will intercede with him, who will step up and work with him on behalf of others, he's looking for people who have the right heart. And it's a heart that's willing to be humbled. It's willing to listen. And it's willing to lay down its life to intercede for others. Okay? Humbled, listen, surrender. None of those are easy I gave you that. None of them are easy, but they are things you and I are capable of doing, okay? So let's start. Verse 1. Verse 1 of Esther 4 begins, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and they told her, you know, this is what's going on, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hafak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and she ordered him to go to Mordecai and to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. So Hathak went. He told Esther what Mordecai had said. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him, go back to Mordecai and tell him this, tell him this. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces, they know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So Hathak told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself 
that in the king's palace you're going to escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Okay, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat, do not drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Father God, before we dig into your word this morning, please just just remove any distraction from us this morning. I know, Lord, when we talk about this, it's not going to sound easy. I know it's not going to sound comfortable. And Father, I know that as, as if, I mean, if <laughs> I'd, I'd like to assume I'm not that different from everyone else, you heard the objections on my heart as I worked through this this week. God, I don't want to have to do this. God, I don't want to have to undertake this. God, I'm really, I'm not, I'm not so sure that this is something that I'm going to enjoy teaching, let alone living out. Father, you know that you have called us to the exact same thing as Esther and Mordecai. And Lord, you know what? If they were capable of doing it because it was putting their heart before you to let you do the work, God, we are all so good. We can do that. Encourage us to that end this morning, Lord, as we dive into and, and just see how you, you, you pulled this out for us, okay? In your name we pray, amen. I, I, want, I want to just keep that preface before you. We are capable of doing this. Maybe you won't need that as much as I needed to hear that this week. But, all right, let's see. What is this heart? What is this heart that God is looking for, okay? If you start back in the beginning, chapter 4, verse 1, you see Mordecai hears about all these things that have been done. And just to give you the backstory, remember, Haman is really mad at Mordecai for refusing to worship him. So Haman got the king to sign off on this big edict to go out to all the people that said at this and such and such a time and such and such a place on such and such a day, we're going to kill all the Jews. Okay, that's the background. Mordecai hears this and, and he's, he, he tears his clothes he puts on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the midst of the city, and he just, he's weeping. He's wailing. Um, I thought about demonstrating for you all what this looked like. I figured it's probably not good for me to just start tearing my clothes, um, and I don't have any sackcloth and ashes to put on currently, but it's a pretty strong visual for you all what this looks like, right? To just tear your clothes off, to cover yourself in whatever comes out of the bottom of the fire pit, and to go sit and wail allowed. And what this is, church, remember, Esther's written to the Jews who are still in exile. So this is being written to the people of God. When they see this, they're not going, oh, that's weird. That's uncomfortable. They know exactly what Mordecai is doing. This is a picture of humility. This is a heart that is willing to be humbled to intercede for others, right? This is not Mordecai just going off and saying, God, why are you doing these things? This is also, I love verse 2. Verse 2 tells us that Mordecai doesn't go into the king's gate because you're not allowed to go in there clothed in sackcloth. Now, this might not be you, but there are people uh, who, who I know dear to me, and none of you all that I'm speaking of, that sometimes when they get emotional or they get frustrated, 
they kind of tend to do whatever they want, and they say, well, I'm frustrated. Or they do whatever they want. They say, well, it's because I'm grieving. I, I take that back. That I, I do know one person in here who's like that at times. Um, I know them very well. I've, I've lived with them for 28 years. Um, I'm very well acquainted with what that looks like. Because you're going, man, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm broken. I'm grieving. You should let, let me do this right now. That's not actually not where Mordecai is. He has enough humility to say, you know what? I am, I am demonstrating to all the rest of God's people what we know humility looks like. This is a specific cultural thing. But he's also not just going to the other people who have no clue what's going on and just doing his own thing. And when Esther hears about this, Part of her is, I mean, it says she's deeply distressed. She first sends garments to clothe Mordecai, right? And, and this could be a way you could read it as her saying, um, Dad, I'm so embarrassed by you right now. Please put something on. Please cover yourself back up. Please stop crying in front of everybody. This is really making me look bad. Uh, but really, this is more of Esther saying uh, something's up. Um, clearly you're, you're wearing sackcloth. Maybe you need clothes again. And when, when, when Mordecai doesn't take it, she goes, oh, I know what this is about. Like, I recognize this is a sign of humility. This is a sign of, of great mourning, of great frustration, of great sorrow. I need to know what this is. And so she doesn't keep pushing him to take the clothes and just cover them up. She starts to sense people to go to Mordecai and say, hey, verse 5, she sends one of the king's eunuchs, says, hey, go ask him what's up. Because I'm understanding this is now not a, a selfish thing. This is not a bitter thing. He is humbling himself. Something is not right here. And I love how Mordecai just bears everything before Esther. And it's at this point, church, I was, I was struck this week of just how humbled Mordecai really is when he's in this position, okay? So if you're to put yourself in Mordecai's shoes, which I can't even really imagine this, but to, to even attempt, if I'm in Mordecai's shoes, okay, then that's me recognizing I woke up one morning and went, oh, I just found out that the government wants to put to death every follower of God in the country, and they want to do so because of me. And not only can I not do a thing about it, the only person who can do a thing about it is my child, is someone I love deeply, is someone that I would never, ever want to put in harm's way. I would never want to be the one that endangers their life. Well, I, now I have, and I can't do a thing about it, and now I have to go ask them to be the ones to fix it. I mean, the, the, can you imagine just how far out of control Mordecai is at this point? He's going to have to ask the one that he loves the most, that he is now endangered the most, to be the one to step up and have to work. I mean, I, I have self-destructed over much less, church. So to watch Mordecai somehow able to, to work through and process and grieve, but in humility, like keep it together, this is impressive to me. And again, that's where I start getting to this tendency of, wow, man, I don't know that I could ever do what Mordecai is doing. We could, church. What is Mordecai doing? He's being humble. Are we not capable of humility. I mean, apart from Christ, yeah, we could argue on that. But in Christ, as a child of God, which Mordecai is, are we not capable of a humble heart? It's not easy. It's not comfortable. But yeah, we could do it. 
And because of Mordecai's humility, because he bears himself before Esther and says, this is what's going on. And you are the only one who can do something about it. Verse 17, Mordecai went away and he did as Esther ordered him. In his humility, God showed Mordecai, here's your role, right? No, Mordecai, you can't fix everything. No, Mordecai, you can't overcome everything. No, Mordecai, you can't undo what has been done. But here is what you can do, Mordecai. And he gives Mordecai the message through Esther. And because Mordecai has been humbled before Esther to ask for help and to go, you know, go to her in the first place, he's now get to be humbled again. And he goes and he does as she orders him. So clearly in this story, when God is looking for those who will work in his kingdom to help step up, into his life to intercede for others. Humility's there. Humility's there. But so is listening. So is listening. Let's now look a little bit more at Esther's response, okay? The first time we see Esther, it's verse 4. And she's, she's hearing about what Mordecai and all the Jews really are doing. And she's going, wow, did I, did I miss something? Like, how, how is all the people in the land, including my father, how are all of them? They're all wailing. They're all wearing sackcloth. They're wearing ashes. I mean, she probably might have been able to hear it from the palace if it's that many people, because we're talking millions of people that are scattered around the nation. A lot of them would have been concentrated in, in this city, Susa, because this is where everything seems to be going down. But she hears of whatever's going on, and she, she says, ooh, something is not right. Right? It says he, she was greatly distressed. And she now has to go send someone half back to Mordecai. So in her humility of recognizing, wow, something is up here. I have no clue what it is. I don't even know what, what would be helpful at this point. What does she have to do? She has to go listen. She has to send someone to Mordecai and say, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's going on. And when Esther learns... Um, Certainly, it's a lot. It would be a lot to imagine, oh, wait a minute. All of my people are going to be killed. My dad could be killed. It's my dad's fault. They can't do anything. I'm the only one who can do something about it. Like, that, that is a big burden that has now been placed on Esther. And her initial response in verse 11, she says, um, you know what you're asking me to do, right? If you're asking me to go before the king, you understand, right, Dad? Like, you know what is going to happen. I'm going to be put to death unless he decides to spare my life, and I have not seen him in 30 days. I don't know where this guy's at. I don't know what mood he's in. I don't know if he's pleased with me. He hasn't, ordered, he hasn't asked me to come for 30 days, so he might have forgotten about me, right? And when Mordecai responds back to her, I love this. I love this church because he does not guilt trip her. Because I think sometimes that's what we do to each other. We go, God, uh, you know what you're asking me to do. Oh, yeah, I know. But, but Jesus was on the cross, right? So I guess I could do whatever you're asking me to do. Well, sure, yes, you're right. Yes, you've given up everything for me. I guess I could go serve. I guess I could share. We get into this, this guilt trip mentality of, okay, fine. And that's not what Mordecai does for Esther. I love this. He encourages her, hey, Esther, rather than see this from the lens of what you might be losing or what you're being asked to do, see this as an opportunity to listen to God, right? What does he tell Esther? He says, if you keep silent, 
relief and deliverance. I love this. It will rise for the Jews from another place. He says, look, God's word cannot be stopped, right? God will redeem his people. God will reconcile them back. God will. He will. This is not even a question. Mordecai has been living as a person in exile in a foreign land who has just single-handedly become the reason that all of the God's people are about to be killed. And even then, Mordecai can say, well, I still know God's going to work. Like, that's, that's not even a question whether God is going to do something. The question, Esther, is whether you have come, maybe you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this, Esther Maybe instead of thinking, oh, man, what's it going to cost me? You go, man, if I listen here, what am I going to get to see God do? That seems to be how Mordecai presents this back. And I started thinking, you know, there, there have been times in my life where, you know, maybe somebody asked me to do something um, related to the church, and I did not feel prepared to do it, uh, and I said no. I didn't want to listen, and then you know maybe somebody else got to do it, and I started thinking, man, maybe I should have said yes. You start thinking, oh man, I, I missed out on a moment where if I had, instead of thinking about what I'd have to give up or what it would mean for me, if I had just said yes and listened and watched God at work, maybe I could have, could have gotten to do that. And you know, as a youth, that's probably also done out of out of jealousy because you like being the one where people go good job when you said yes. We love how much you just stepped up into that. But when we are able to listen, we are able to step up into the life that God has. And Esther does, right? What does she order the people to do? What does she ask Mordecai to go do? What does she promise she's going to do? Verse 16, fast. Now, some of you all, I, I will be honest, I, I have heard multiple people in here talk about their experience fasting as nearly completely foreign to me, okay? Just to be completely honest with you, my background in, in faith, fasting was something you talked about as like, yeah, it would be something you could aspire to do. I don't think I've ever consciously seen somebody do it, and that wasn't until maybe more college. So to get to come here and worship with people, you're like, yeah, we've done that before. It's not that big a deal. I'm like, Wow, this is, this is kind of neat. But the act of fasting is just, it's, it's an act of worship, first off. But it's simply a way where we're saying, I am, <laughs> I'm really going to listen, right? I'm going to remove distractions, whether it's food, whether it's things I feel like should be, you know, I need to be able to get something. I'm going to take that away so I can listen to God really clearly. I'm really going to press in, God. I, I feel like I'm getting all my distractions, you know, whether I'm fasting from food or my phone, something. I really want to hear from you. So Esther's response to Mordecai is, fine. If this is an opportunity to join God at work, then I'm going to maybe throw down the gauntlet on God. Okay, fine, God. I'll clear out everything. What have you got? I love that. Esther and Mordecai show us that they're, they're not just humble. They're willing to listen. And perhaps the most costly part, what is this heart willing to do? is a heart that is willing to surrender, to lay down its life. And I started realizing that's kind of been at the background. I mean, very clearly it comes to the forefront when you get to verse 16. She says, if I perish, I perish. Right? It's right there. But that's kind of been the background the whole time. Because you start noticing Esther, okay, 
she probably hasn't heard of the edict yet, and that's why Mordecai is sending a copy of it to her. But Esther, the last time we talked, I think this was in chapter 2, right? Mordecai had told Esther, don't tell anyone you're a Jew. Okay, well, at this point, it is public knowledge to everybody, Mordecai is a Jew. So if Esther is watching Mordecai and she feels, you know, distress and she's sending people to him, someone somewhere is going to start going, why does she care so much? Like very clearly, maybe we know it's her father, but if her father is the one who's a problem and a Jew, is, is she also, maybe she's also a Jew? There, someone's going to put the pieces together. It's going to be kind of weird to them that Esther is deciding to stand up for this one particular guy who is wearing sackcloth and weeping and lamenting and fasting and sitting in ashes and making this big commotion right outside the king's gate, right? It's going to seem weird to someone. So she's already put her life on her line a little bit. And she also knows what it means that Mordecai is asking her when she says, look, my life will be on the line unless the king, who I have no clue where he's at or what he does, unless he extends grace to me, I know exactly what's coming. But with all of that, Esther turns around and she says, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. She has been willing, if I, you know, I will do the same, I will go to the king, it is against the law, if I perish, I perish. She's willing to put her life on the line, but she has also asked Mordecai to do the same thing. Because Mordecai at this point, guys, he is public enemy number one. No one wants to see Mordecai because it's probably not, probably not a kept secret at this point. Uh, Mordecai, things were good between us and Persia, uh, and then you, you refused to do something to Haman, and now they want to kill us all? Hmm, I wonder how they got to that point, Mordecai. The, their own people probably know at this point Mordecai's is the cause of this. It's also not too crazy to imagine that uh, uh, if Mordecai is public enemy number one, what's the one thing you probably wouldn't ask him to do? Oh, go travel around to, throughout the entire city and try to get everybody together to do the same thing that, oh, by the way, is going to look very different than the rest of the world around you. If you're Mordecai, you want to hunker down, you want to lay low, Maybe this will all just blow over. Maybe Haman will just kind of forget about me. I'm sure Haman's got worse things on his plate more important than me, right? No. Esther tells Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in the city where all of this is going down. Hold a fast so you're definitely going to stand out. And Mordecai, you're going to have to put your life on the line just like I'm going to do the same. And verse 17, I mean, it's, it is deeply profound. It just says, he did it. He did it. He had no issue. He went away and did everything as Esther ordered him. Church, sometimes when we read through these stories, we just, we miss these nuggets. But this is the heart that God has said, these two right here, Esther, Mordecai, I'm going to work through you. You're going to be my people. You're going to be the ones who help me make everything else right. They're the ones who are humbled they're the ones who are ready to listen. They're the ones who are ready to lay down their lives. And the question we keep coming back to, why do we not think that we could do likewise? 
I mean, what, what have they done that we can't, church? Why is this a big struggle? I'll give you, there's one thing in here, I think, that makes it pretty clear. And I don't want to read this on to you. But I would say this is true for me. I'd be willing to bet this is also true for you. You and I, even though we are equally capable of this, we worry too much about what we might have to give up. We worry too much about what we think we'll lose if we follow God in this way. Now we know, right, if Jesus has died on the cross and he's given his life for us, that I'm probably going to have to give up something too because scripture talks about I'm laying my life down. We get that. We know kind of at least in theory there's some sacrifice on my part for following Christ. But when the rubber meets the road, truthfully, church, when we respond, and I, I want to, I want to, I'll, I'll give you this. Maybe we do in the best way possible like Esther does, where Esther says, but Mordecai, you know what that's going to take, right? And we know, look, ultimately Esther's going to kind of go along with Mordecai. We're going to see her step up and do some big stuff next week. Esther's going to be huge for us next week. So ultimately, okay, we're not saying Esther doesn't want to sacrifice. I don't think there's anyone in this room who, who I've gotten to know who's been following Christ that says, I really don't want to give up anything from him, okay? Let, we'll, let's take that option off the table. But at some point, even like Esther, we say, but, but you know what it means, right, God? You know what you're asking me to do, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. We worry about what we think we're going to have to give up. And I realize, I realize that as, as a as a pastor, that's like kind of the, one of the big things that's different about any other job is that when you're asking people to do something, you're asking people to follow, you're asking people to like, you know, live this out. You're asking people to do something that is definitely not easy. That you're asking them, hey, you're not just trusting me, but we're having to say, God, okay, you know what? You know what you're asking me to do, right? Are, are you sure, Lord? And that, that question, God, what am I going to lose here, is usually often tied to, but what am I going to get? Okay, God, I'll do this for you, but what do I get in reward? And that's actually, guys, exactly what Mordecai gives to Esther. He says, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Esther, what does it matter what you think you're going to lose. You're going to lose something regardless. In fact, in this particular instance, Mordecai tells Esther, you're probably going to lose the same thing either way, right? If the king finds out you're also a Jew and he signed this edict in place, it doesn't really matter that you're queen, right? If he's faithful to his law, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the king finds out or if you go tell him and you're put to either way, Esther, this is what's on the table for you. So don't worry about that. He says, but you know what? What you should worry about, Esther, is that God's relief and deliverance, it is going to rise. Esther, what you should worry about is whether you get to be part of that work or not. Right? It does not matter, Esther, what you think you're going to give up because it's really a question of are you going to be with God or not? 
Are you going to step up into the life that God has for you or not? Esther, whatever you think you could lose to include your very life, you get God. Is he not worth it? Esther, don't you want to be part of what God has? Not just for you, Esther, but for the entire, all your people. We're talking, we said this in week one, we're talking about five or six million people. Esther, don't you want to be part of the work that God is doing in five to six million people? Esther, is there anything you can think of that you would say, I'd actually rather have this than to be part of the work for the resurrection, for the redemption, the reconciliation of five to six million people? people. You have God, church. Is there anything that you and I could lose that would be, <laughs> that would be greater than getting to walk in God's life? And I want to speak very directly to those who have been at this church a little while longer, and I, I, I try not to just do that often, but I realize that is, a, that is a part of the testimony of many people who have been in, in this, this body of believers for a long period of time. Because you have seen firsthand what it is like to walk through seasons where all you have is God, and you do not have anything else. You, you have seen... What happens when you have to be humble, when you have to listen, when you have to surrender to sacrifice because you see God as worth it, right? When, when, when everything went, went down, right? When, when things collapsed five, six years ago, wasn't that a time of being humbled? Did, did it not take humility to say, who? Something did not work here. We have to figure out what that is so that this doesn't happen again. And you know what? We might not even know exactly how to get there. We might, we might have to bring someone in. Did that not take a season of listening? You guys had Bob. You, you had Don Cox. I know there were some other, other people that had you know, conversations with the leadership that said, hey, from our perspective, because we were a little bit more distant, here's some wisdom. Here's some things we could share. Did it not take listening? Did it also not take sacrifice? I mean, I, I, still, I still am not even aware of how many trips to see kids or grandkids or vacations or, or just daily things that I know you must have had to give up because you said, you know what, <laughs> the work that God is doing right here, I got to be here. You know, like, I will get to that. This is just a season. But God, because of the work you're doing here, I, I got to be here. I got to see this through. Some of you guys have lived that out very powerfully. And I know, I hope you recognize, you're not doing that just because we're caring about keeping an institution alive. Because you're saying, this, this is what it is to follow Christ, right? That there is nothing greater than saying, God, you're right there, and I want to be with you. And so it requires humility, done. It requires listening, done. It requires surrender, done. Because I want to be with you. More than I just need a, a, a church to survive or an institution to happen or program. I need to be with you, God. You guys have seen that that is costly. Those of you who haven't been in through, the, through that season with this church, I, I hope you can see the exact same examples for your lives, right? It is, is not easy. But we also don't just do it because we hope we're getting something better. 
right? Don't we see the same thing in Christ? Doesn't Hebrews tell us Christ for the joy, for the joy that was before him, did he not endure the cross for us? Doesn't he say when he tells us to make disciples, I will be with you always. The greatest thing I can give you is me to go live this life out. Man, if that heart was good enough for you all to endure hardship, if that heart was good enough for Mordecai and Esther to endure hardship for the Jews, if that heart was good enough for Christ to endure everything he went through, even death, for us to have a shot at life with God, it's not going to be any other kind of heart that we will get to walk out as we keep moving forward together. It can't be any other heart that God could use in, in our church and in our personal lives here in the New River Valley and in the world together, right? If we do not, if we're not willing to be humbled, if we're not willing to listen, to lay down. Look, we, it's, you guys have, this is a tested and true thing you guys have seen. I'm not asking for us to do anything different because we know that this is true. And so where do we, where do we land with this this morning, church? I, I want to leave you with two things, okay? The first is to not be afraid of hard moments. To not be afraid of hard moments. Hard moments, you could call it, put anything in there. Sickness, oppression, injustice, whatever. You, you could stick something in there. A hard moment is going to tell you to not do at least one of those three things. When something is difficult, you're going to feel within yourself, <laughs> I have been a doormat for far too long, not anymore, right? Humility, whoosh, out the window. Oh, no, no, uh, uh, no, no, I, I'm not listening to that any longer, whoosh, out the window. You're going to say, oh, no, you know what? I have, I have surrendered so much, I am not taking this, right? A hard moment is going to bring us to the point where one of those things is not going to be good enough anymore, okay? And I, I also know, too, church, I'm speaking to a congregation where most of you, most of you, really know serving people well. Most of you, that's been your vocation, right? So I know the last thing you want when your life is having to be humbled and having to listen and having to surrender for others to come into the church and hear, oh, good job, just keep doing that. Like, come on, do I get a break at some point? I, I understand. I understand how it sounds. Don't be afraid of hard moments. Because the second thing, the second encouragement, what is your hope? You have God. I really don't have anything that I can try to tie that profoundness to other than you have the almighty God with you. When you are following Christ, when we, when we as in our modern language, when we say we accept Jesus as our Savior, and Lord and his spirit comes to dwell within us, we have God. We have God. And it's out of that that the author of Hebrews tells us, hey, we don't neglect to meet together. <laughs> we're going to withdraw when we don't want to be humbled or listen or, or surrender. Don't, don't give up meeting together. Encourage one another. You're gonna, we're going to need it. Encourage one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Stir each other up to love and to good works. You have God. 
you have God. I, I, I've heard it said of pastors that, you know, we, our goal is to make disciples, not converts. And I know many of you have probably seen how in the church, sometimes we get a little carried away wanting to make converts more than disciples. Well, the easiest way to kind of spot the difference is one has God and the other really struggles to see that they have God. You have God, church. I pray that that is enough for us. And I pray that God would show you, you know what, here, we'll just go ahead. We'll pray with this today. Lord, I'm going to, I'm changing the end a little bit here because I want to pray this for our congregation today. God, may you show this to be abundantly true for us this week. God, and, and, you know, I know, I know at some point as we go throughout this week, we will hit a frustration, we'll hit a hard moment, and God, you know that we're all wired differently, so those moments are going to look a little bit different for each of us, but we're going to hit that point where we're going to want to say, mm-mm, I'm done with the humility piece. Mm-mm, I, I'm done with the listening piece. Mm-mm, I, I am done with the surrendering piece. Yet, Father, you have shown us in Christ You've shown us in Mordecai. You've shown us in Esther. You've shown us in, <laughs> in every example we could think of in Scripture. You've shown us in the personal testimony of enduring hardship together. That when we cling to that heart, and I wish we had another hour, Lord, because we could read the next two chapters and see all that you're about to do. I know we're, we're getting hungry, so I know we won't go there today. But Father, what can't you do? When we cling to that, God, encourage us. God, make it abundantly clear in a way that, look, I, the words and the teaching and the preaching and all the, all the, the arguments, I mean, the, yes, they can be made, but, Father, may it be made clear for us in your spirit because that is our hope. That is the encouragement we have. That's why we weather things together, Lord. It's not because... Oh man, if, if we don't do this, then the organization is going to fail. We're not going to see these things happen. Lord, we want to see your name made great in the New River Valley, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, in the United States of America, across the world. Father, we want to see your name made great across every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people. And to do that, Lord, we have seen your testimony time and time again. Humility, listening, surrender. That will get us to a place, Father, where you will show us how do we go do this? How do we go make this happen? But Father, may you just prove it to us again this week. Prove it to us again. Because when we are in that place, Lord, where yes, <laughs> we are not worried about what we might have to give up. What won't we see you do? Not just for this church, Lord, although I pray it would be, but for each of us. It is in your name we ask these things this morning, Lord. Amen.